Welcome to another episode of Failure at 40. On this week's show, we're speaking with 41-year-old Simone Morgan Barnes, barrister mother extraordinaire from South London. Today we'll be hitting points like this. And that's why now I'm ruthless. I'm ruthless with my time. I'm ruthless in my pursuits. And I am very, very focused. And I'm unapologetic. Whereas before I would apologise, I'm not apologising now. I'm not wrong and strong, but I mean, I'm not apologising for myself. Failure. Being on the outside looking in, you'd think that, wow, she's got it all. She's got it together. She was able to leave home at 17. She put herself through education. She did X, Y and Z. And, you know, she's a fighter and stuff. But I suppose if you took the time to really scratch beneath the surface, I was ankyless, completely ankyless. And that, that took it, really took its toll in the 30s. So with the mental exhaustion and then just being ankyless and looking for that stability, not realising at the time that I was looking for stability and you'd think I would have had it being in a relationship. But it's, it wasn't about a person. It's, it's definitely about self. It's definitely about having that centeredness and feeling secure in, in everything that you are as a being. So it's definitely not about monetary. It's just the security of being still as a, as a being. And that's what I was looking for, but didn't know it. And that's what probably had me feeling the way I felt. We've got plenty more in store. So stay tuned in. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of Failure at 40. I'm Shelley, the life coach. I'm Sham, the self-love activist. Welcome to the show, Simone. Hi, welcome, Simone. Welcome to Failure at 40. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. So we just kind of wanted to introduce you a little bit to the people that are listening. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, a little bit about your story. If you tell us a bit about what you, your background and your occupation. My name is Simone Morgan Barnes. I'm 41 years old and my occupation is that of a solicitor. And do you have any children? Yes, I do. For my sins, I've got two boys. Uh, Dylan, who's age 10, and Sebastian, age 3. How would you describe your younger years? Originally, I suppose I was born in Kingston-upon-Thames, when it used to be known as Kingston-upon-Thames, back in the good old days. So I was born there and um, raised there until I was about eight years old. And then I moved to Roehampton, pretty much spent time in Roehampton until the age of uh, 16. My family are from Jamaica originally, so I am first generation British on my father's side and second generation British on my mother's side. I suppose that that's us in a nutshell. Yeah. And how would you describe your growing up? Where did you, did you grow up with both parents? No, I, I didn't grow up with both parents. So my mum and my dad were quite young when they when they had me. So teens, actually, late teens. So obviously that relationship didn't work. Then being so young, I was the oldest for my mum and my dad. And then uh, my mum sub- subsequently went on to, to meet a new partner who she married and went on to have two, two girls and a boy. And my dad, he moved to America. How old were you when dad moved? When I was about three, I think three or four, he, he moved to the States. And then he met uh, a, a partner there and he went on to have uh, two girls and a boy. So I was the one, you know, the cross link between them and stuck in the middle, so to speak. How old were you when you realised that dad was no longer within the household? I don't know if I'm being honest. I think my earliest memories are really of my stepdad, if I'm being quite honest, because he was on the scene from about, they tell me, when I say they tell me, I mean, my family say to me he was around from early days. So I think he was around from probably when I was about three and has always been in my life from that point onwards. So I suppose... He, he was my dad for all intents and purposes, though I never called him dad, which is probably quite unusual if someone's been in your life from three years old and you're, you're not to call them, you don't call them dad. And I had many of friends actually who would call their stepdad's dad who had been in their lives equally as long, you know, three, three years old. But um, I think for me, one of my earliest memories was of my grandmother saying, telling me he's not my dad. 
So she was very adamant that my stepdad was not my dad and I was not to call him dad. How do you feel about that? How did that make you feel at those ages? I suppose, I, I don't know. I just know that my nan is really influential in my life. So I think if she said not to do it, you just didn't, I just didn't do it. I just, I don't know when that became like a doctrine in, when it was indoctrinated in my mind, but I know that I've never called him dad. I remember my cousin, I was probably about, um, about seven. And she was like, why don't you call your Donald your dad? And I was like, I don't. I don't call him dad and you know she's like why not but he, he's your dad and I was like I don't call him dad so it's just always I've just known it always to be that way so I've never ever referred to him as my stepdad as as dad it's only if over the years when I was younger just more a introducing him as my dad to people more from a a, a saving face so to speak of culture so you know when you're like oh is that your dad yeah, yeah yeah that's my dad but little do you know when you've walked off it's back to referring to him as a first name how often did you see your biological dad? When he moved, did he come back? Was he back and forth? Like how often did you see him as you went, while you were growing up? I remember receiving letters. Uh, they used to go to my nan's address, um, addressed to her, care of. And I, I, I remember he came when I was about probably about six, roughly six years old, he, he, six or seven, he came over. And I just remember him being this guy that was just really fun. He came and he took me shopping and pretty much bought anything that I wanted. And I remember he bought me my birthday. I think he came around my birthday, but I think that's the only time I can really remember him coming to England at that stage when I was that young. I think he did call me. He would call me from my, my, at my grandmother's house. He would call her house when I was there and I'd speak to him. But I only saw him, I think, yeah, about six or seven. And then after that, I saw him again at eight. And then I never saw him again until I was 17. And how, how did that shape sort of your, your view of men growing up? I mean, what were some of the challenges of that situation, that dynamic? Because it's a blended family, isn't it, on both sides? So how those dynamics, how, what were the challenges, would you say? The dynamics, I mean, it, it, it was a difficult one because, you know, you know that you have your own dad, so to speak. So bearing in mind, I'm the eldest out of, you know, how many children. So it was difficult because, you know, you've got someone who's your dad calling you, you know, <laughs> on a line over there. And, and then if there were like arguments, between like my mom and my stepdad that kind of was like a bone of contention so especially because I looked like my dad as well and then it was difficult it was dynamically it was extremely extremely difficult managing that that kind of relationship because you've got a stepdad there that for all intents and purposes he's doing everything that he should be doing as a dad and he assumed that role and actually more than my actual biological dad did at during my early years of life. So you'd think that I, I would have that degree of loyalty towards him. And, and again, even just giving him that respect of calling him dad. But I think that kind of altered everything, just, just not even acknowledging, acknowledging him as my dad. And then the conflict between him, my real dad and my mum and my grandmother, actually, he was quite fundamental in all of that. And how did that shape you into your teen, teenage years? Because I guess, you, you know, I'm hearing to 17, you saw him again. What, what young woman did you become as a result of some of the things you've witnessed and experienced in your childhood? By not having uh, my dad around or just the blended family? You know, no, either or, just the fact it doesn't, you know, whether dad was there or not, just how do you think it impacted you? There was an impact, and I suppose I didn't really notice it until, if I'm being quite honest, until my 30s, if I'm being quite frank about it, in the way that I view men, per se, and, you know, their commitment to family and commitment to, you know, myself as, as an individual. So I'm quite, I mean, I've been called hard before, well, quite a few times in relationships that I'm quite hard and tough. But I think that's more just because of the way that I've seen like the male and female relationship and how that's been growing up. So the dynamics. Did you agree with that, that kind of statement they were making? Because I get called things like I've been called that in relationships before. I don't think you're as emotional as you could be, you know. And do you think that is their issue or how they would like you to be for them? I, I think it's individual. I think it's a I, it's a perception. I think it's a perception. I think for me as a woman, it was a defense armor for me sometimes in how I would come across definitely defense mechanism. And as I said, I've kind of 
became aware of that within the 30s. But before then, um, I'd like to say it's probably just partly also indoctrinated within my personality. And I just think it's their own, it's people's judgments. It's how, as you say, quite rightly, it's how they view you or how they want to view you. I would probably like to more call myself resilient. <laughs> Rather than hard. Well paced word. Yes. I would like to say I'm a resilient lady. Very, very resilient, uh, rather than I'm hard and tough. Hard and tough, they're just not the nicest of words, not very pleasant, are they? It yeah. sounds like, like a, a dumpling gone wrong, you know? Yes. <laughs> oh, over, overboiled. Oh, you know? Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> like a fried dumpling that just went real tough. You know, in the oil for too long. So, um, do you know what I mean? Like, no, you know, you know, you know, there's some softness about me, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm extremely resilient, yes. Indeed, indeed. And I guess over time, sometimes you can start to find ways to protect yourself. And that can come across, I guess, to others who want to get to know or get deeper than maybe what you're giving at that time. So that can come across as a tough, let's say, or boundary, maybe, or not as open as one might want. Yeah, I, yes, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think, as I said, I suppose it goes back to that, that boundaries, that protectionism in terms of you, you do have that kind of invisible barrier wall, so to speak. And I mean, it has served its purpose for me, definitely. I suppose, you know, take a licking, keep on ticking is if you look that in the dictionary, you'll see my name. <laughs> it's just like, how many times can you bounce back? But yeah. <laughs> so, so, what, so what were some of the challenges for you? I mean, are we saying that the relationship challenges came out of experiences from childhood, would you say? Definitely. I mean, without exposing too much dirty laundry, you know, because we don't have to, you know, you know, you've got to be respectful of your family. So without exposing too much dirty laundry, I suppose my childhood was quite fractious. It was very, very fractious. And I, I would say which, which had... A, a tremendous impact negatively and positively in, in, in my life. And that definitely shaped who I am or who, yeah, it has definitely shaped who I've become as a person, as I said, in a positive and a negative way. And I'm still finding my way out of, of that, if I'm being quite honest, from um, childhood, the experiences, the, the, the experiences I, I grew up in. And in terms of some of the things you've, you've strived for um, and achieved and that resilience, ha have those come from childhood or is that just who you are and how you've developed as a person? I've thought about that, if I'm being quite honest, over the years. And the reason being is because I look at all my siblings on, on both sides, uh, mum and dad's side. Uh, I'm talking about my real dad and I look at them and I look at me and, I, I, you know, and I think, what, what makes us all different or what makes me quite different? So in my family, I suppose, amongst my siblings on my mother's side, mm. I, I am the sibling. I suppose this sums me up a lot. I am the sibling that you go to for practical advice. You need something sorted. You need some direction. You come to Simone. If you want loving, care and ego stroking, don't come to me. <laughs> um, I'm being honest, don't come to me. And my mum will say that. She'll be like, you know yeah you're, you're you're would you agree with that or actually do you think that's do you think that's the truth or do you think actually there is a side to you that maybe doesn't get seen as often and that's why they've come to that conclusion i suppose it's the way in which i express my love and my my love is not necessarily the cuddly type of love it doesn't make it any less it, it's equally just as good it's just that i don't express the love in that way my my i my way of showing my love is probably how I sow into you and feed into you, whether you're my friend or my family. I, I, I'm more of a, of a guider, advisor, and that's, you know, and if I love you, you know, you will benefit from that. And that's, that's how I show love, definitely. Um, but I, I'm not, I don't really show love per se with hugging and, and things like that. I do my children, I do with my children. Gosh, I don't want to sound cold. I do, I, I, if anything, I overcompensate with my children because I want to make sure that they have that, you know, they they get that physical, like that, that feel, that touch. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And because I know I'm not naturally like that as a person, I definitely, if if not overthink it, I definitely make sure I'm always doing, I'm saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, or I'm touching them or, you know, kissing them or with my, my two boys, I definitely, definitely do that with them. But I suppose 
in a relationship, probably that's one of the things that I've never been really good at in an actual male and female relationship, which is, 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 is actually quite sad. But I think you described quite well what your love language is. Your love language is actually, I'm, I'm a giver, giver of knowledge, information. And, um, and, I, and I think I've been learning that even more of late, in particular during this, this time of, of life where we are now in the pandemic, that actually people will interact with you with different levels and communications of love, you know, and, and we sometimes expect everybody to show it in a way that we communicate with and actually they're using another love style, and another love language. Um, it's quite an art to, to, to be able to actually ascertain, actually it's different from how I love, but it's love nevertheless. But not everybody sees it that way. That's, that's the point, isn't it? Everybody, even though you, you know, it is a form of love for other people, it depends on how they need to see it and, um, and how they want it reciprocated. So sometimes my, my way of loving is not the same for everybody else. So sometimes it looks like I love less. So you're 41. Uh, so Throughout your teenage years, your 20s and your 30s, we all kind of have a vision for where we're going to be. What was your vision for you at that time, like in your 20s or 30s? Like, what did you envision your life to be like? What did you think? Oh, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is how I'm going to be. What was your thoughts? I'm, if I'm being honest, I didn't have a plan for what 40 would look like. I didn't have a plan for age. Never did. And, and I, I didn't. I think with my upbringing, it, it, it was very much like, I knew that I had a few set goals that I knew that I had to achieve. One was not to get pregnant young. I just didn't want to, I didn't want children young. So my mother had me at 18. So that was a, a goal. And it, as soon as I got to 18, I was like, yeah, check me. And then I got to 19, check me. And seriously, it literally was that I'd tick it off in my head every year, like, yeah, no baby, no baby. So I knew I had um, broken that cycle. I'll just be real. It was like, yeah, you, listen, it was like gold standard. And I used to get my rocks off when, you know, you meet guys, they're like, what, no kids? No, no. <laughs> They, you know, I was like a diet piece. They're like, what? You got no kids? No, no. So that was like one of my, my goals, if I'm being honest. It was like, yeah, no kids, no kids, no kids. And then another one was, um, I think I, I actually wanted to be a doctor. So I wanted to be a doctor and that was my focus. I just wanted to be a doctor. Um, I didn't know how that was going to happen. That was all I wanted to be was a doctor. And what happened um, just in my, my late teens is that I, I left home quite young, about just, just turning on 17. I left, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant leaving. It wasn't by, it, it was choice, but not choice at the time. And that partly impacted my life and the, the opportunities to me. So, because what you don't realize is, is that you think that you can, you know, at 17, you've got it, you've got it together. You're gonna to be all right, yeah, I've got this. I'm gonna go uni, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And, and the reality is at 17, you don't have anything together, nothing, nothing. You, you literally, I'm telling you from now, I left my, and it's all about how I've panned out to who I am and goals, you know, to go back to your question, Sean, but literally I left my mother's with one black bag, the scandal no. bag? Scandal bag, Simone? Not even a scandal. I'm talking black about bag. a black bag. The pick I had that same bag. Everybody had a bag. At 17, I don't know where I was going, but a black bag, that's it. With whatever items you could get in a black bag is, is, is I left her house. And I remember leaving, and obviously that was trauma in itself, but um, and not to gloss over it, but I remember in my head saying, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. So whatever I need to do, I'm not going back. I'm not going back there. It's, it's got to be a sink or swim. And testimony to my mother, testimony to my mother, it showed me how well she grew me up because I never went back. I never went back. I, I was able to manage by myself. It wasn't easy, but I didn't go back. I had enough tools in my tool belt. So I call it that, you know, when you're at home with your family, they give you tools as you're growing up, tools, tools, tools. And hopefully you've got enough when you leave to go and do well in the world. And... I was lucky to have some good tools in my tool belt and then the rest I had to kind of stumble with. So in terms of like goals and plans, it literally was one, not to get pregnant at 18, two, just to kind of have a roof over my head, you know, and make sure I had my own home, three, to become a doctor. Now leaving home so young, I didn't get to become that doctor. And, and, and it was because um, 
my time was so turbulent. I was homeless, you know, sleeping in, at my friend's house or stuff packed up in a car, moving to someone else's house, moving to someone else's house, managing to rent a room somewhere, friends, going to friends' house, eating dinner at their houses. So you can imagine that was like trauma, proper, proper you know, I can look back at that time now, so it was trauma. So that messed with my head about the doctor life. Um, so I had no guidance to keep me on track to become that, that doctor. So, so Simone, when did the turbulence that you were kind of experiencing and moving around, being homeless, when did that settle down? When did things get a little bit more comfortable? Not completely there, but started to petter out a little bit. Not, not settle down, but slightly easier at uni. Not, not, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't settled, far from it. I was a mess in uni. I'd say true turbulence where it was in, in, in 30s, if I'm being quite frank. And I'm looking at middle 30s, by the way. What I'm definitely hearing from you is that actually your resilience has come through some of that journey. You know, that, that movement, that transition into your 30s, throughout your 20s, and really being able to develop into who you are as a person. And I wonder if that came from moving out early. As I said, when you leave early and you move out, you're either going to go back or you're going to stay out. And I stayed out and I had to just be resilient. Um, I just had to find a way. I just had to make things work. I had no choice. I had to make some sacrifices, crazy sacrifices. I, you know, just so many sacrifices. I had to do how many jobs, work so many jobs, give up a great place at college. Well, a sixth form. And I gave up so many good things just to kind of keep myself going afloat. Um, but it, it, you know, I didn't realize the, the impact and trauma of that until facing it properly within, within the thirties that actually that, that fundamental decision there had a big impact into the, 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 the second decade and then the third. A knock on effects. Sean, you was talking about maybe leaving home early um, around the same ages. See, I took a different route. I was in an imaginary world, whereas Simone wasn't. I was very much about, you know, I'm going to, you know, live out this fantasy land that's in my head. So when I left home, it was like, I'm, I left home knowing I had a boyfriend that I was going to spend the rest of my life with, and I'm going to be, I'm going to do this. And it was girls and being Simone, like it was, it was lit. But I left in exactly the same way. And it was very much like, I'm not going to go back. I'm going to head on into my new life. And I was going to create it no matter what, like nothing was going to stop me. Um, and I went on that journey. What I find interesting though, is like you mentioned the thirties a lot, like there was something that about the thirties that really shaped where you are today. So can you share with us some of those things that may, you may kind of consider to be failures? Can you maybe share some of those to let us know, like, what was those things? I suppose when you're out there by yourself and you're having to make really tough decisions, I achieved a lot in the 20s. I was so driven in my 20s that I think I burnt myself out from, no, not think, I know. I burnt myself out in my 30s. I packed so much in from about 17 to 29 in my life, so many things. Um, that actually some of it could have waited until the 30s, even the 40s. But I was just on a mission, like bang, bang, bang. I've got to do this. When I, when I do that, I do that, I do that, I do that. It was literally just a checklist. And every time I did something that was an amazing achievement, I couldn't even celebrate it. It was just neck onto the next and onto the next. And I never got satisfaction. So, you know, I've graduated so many times. <laughs> I've bought X amount of properties, all really young, but none of it was achieved. I just... I couldn't even stand in that and think, wow, you've done well, Simone. It was just a checklist. You know, if you, if you look now, where are those photos? Where's the certificates just thrown in a box? Like they're worthless. And I think by the time I got to my thirties, I was tired. I, I got into my thirty. Well, I stepped into my thirty like, yay, thirties. Um, I remember, you know, Vegas party, things like that. Still high on life because I, I had lived abroad. I'd, I'd, I'd lived in Canada for a little bit. So I was still off the high of living abroad for a couple of years. And I, uh, you know, then I turned 30 and then I got pregnant um, a couple of months after my 30th birthday. And um, by the time I had my son, it was 10 days before my 31st. So that altered my trajectory, the plans that I had for myself. And 
I, by the time you wrap your head around being a mother, that takes a couple of years. I didn't know what type of mother that I wanted to be. I really didn't know. So by the time I got used to being someone's mum and, and, and the type of mothering that I wanted to do, I, I was tired. I was burnt out. And I'm not talking tired from a child. I'm talking mentally tired. Exhaustion, mental exhaustion, fatigue, fatigue, right? Exhaustion. I found that I I was goalless, aimless, because I'd done so much in the twenties. I didn't even know what to do in the thirties. That's that's how bad it was. I was just like wandering around, really, and I would get amazing opportunities, know they were amazing, but just couldn't stick it. Couldn't stick it. Something would happen, and I'd be like, "Oh, forget it. I can't be bothered." That has summed up my thirties. Did you know what you were searching for, what you were looking for in terms of validation during that, that period? Because it sounds to me like nothing was able to fulfill whatever void you were trying to fill. And therefore you would move on from goal to goal to goal because actually it wasn't enough. Do, do you know possibly potentially what you might have been looking for? Stability. Mm. Mm. I don't want to get upset because that tells you how close it is. But... um. That secure place, that, that, sec- that secure place. It's stability. It's not stability in material. Mm, I hate Because I've got that, to be honest. It's not stability in material. It's, 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 it's stability in self, in, in, in being anchored, in being anchored. And I was anchorless, you'd think, you know, being on the outside looking in, you'd think that, wow, she's got it all. She's got it together. She was able to leave home at 17. She put herself through education. She did X, Y, and Z. And, you know, she's a fighter and stuff. But I suppose if you took the time to really scratch beneath the surface, I was anchorless, completely anchorless. And that, that took it, really took its toll in the 30s. So with the mental exhaustion... And then just being anchorless and looking for that stability, not realizing at the time that I was looking for stability. And you'd think I would have had it being in a relationship, but it's, it wasn't about a person. It's, it's definitely about self. It's definitely about having that centeredness and feeling secure in, in everything that you are as a being. So it's definitely not about monetary. It's just the security of being still as a, as a being. And that's what I was looking for, but didn't know it. And that's what probably had me feeling the way I felt. Did you ever feel judged or scrutinised by, but you know, like people would expect because actually you're 17, you're not going to be able to achieve. So maybe therefore you were driven and pushed more, one, and maybe two, actually people didn't think you'd be able to achieve. Do you think there was something in there? Yeah, I, I think it was, I was definitely judged by my my peers, parents. I don't want to say names, but I remember being young, at 17, 18, 19, and, and this hearing them saying, what 17-year-old, what 18-year-old leaves their mother's house and, and lives by themselves, a female, a girl, who does that? What's their problem? Um, you know, and I was dating someone at the time, and I think their parents probably worried that I was going to trap them into pregnancy and things like that, you know, or, or just a life of disability st- or whatever. So I was definitely judged. I was judged by family, judged by probably parents of friends definitely actually I know that and and just all around judgment and um it it's not that I ever felt like I had to prove anything to anybody I, I don't feel like I've never felt like I have to prove anything to anybody if anything I march to my own drum and I'm unapologetic for that so I don't march to anybody's drum but my own and I'm only accountable to God and it's very harsh for people to accept that and I'll say it to my mother as well I'll say it to anybody I'm not accountable to anybody here but God, he's the only person I'll answer to. People don't like it. <laughs> they don't like that. But yeah, definitely judged. Um, but it didn't determine like what I was going to achieve. But I, I, I did feel it and I, I felt that pressure. Yeah. And how do you think you overcome some of those things? I, it sounds like motherhood. Like anchor. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the, like the anchor was starting to fall in there. What do you think? Motherhood is, is, is funny because I suppose my perception of motherhood was I was never ready to be a mother at, at 30, if I'm being quite frank. I was not ready. I didn't want children at 30. I, my, I thought 35, one at 35, one at 37, I'm, I'm cool. So having one that young, because to me it was still, for me, I felt like that was young. I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't there yet. 
Um, so it, it, that being someone's mum had, it, it changed me. And I remember the day I had my son, I didn't know I was having him that day. My mother said to me, Simone, when you have your child, people are going to tell you what to do. They're going to tell you how to raise him. Just, just tell you what to do. But she goes, that's your child. You choose what you want to do. And she said to me, you were born first. He comes into your life, not the other way around. So you're not to stop what you're trying to do. He's to fit into you, not the other way around. People get it wrong. They try and adapt to the child and then you've got unfulfilled dreams. So my mum said to me, no, you keep on your path and you, you slot your kid into your life. And what I said, becoming my, my son's mum, my eldest son, Dylan, that was a game changer, definitely in terms of over time, I, my, my whole thoughts of motherhood and how I wanted to mother him and how, how hands-on I was going to be, that I, I, I just totally flipped it on its head. I thought I was going to be this career woman, completely career-driven, all about the career. And actually, he came and it was all about him. Still focused, don't get me wrong, in a sense, but it was all about him. And I suppose that started it. The, the 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 stability and the anchoring um having him and then mothering him and pouring into him but I suppose true stability came it sounds really off but at 40 sounds on point <laughs> sounds on point to me <laughs> no word of a lie 40 I found myself at 40 beautiful you know we we, we spoke to a, a lady who said that 40 was the age of enlightenment you know, and this, this age of fulfillment, shall I say. And you know, when they say life begins at 40, I, I think there's just so much truth in it. And I don't think you really understand that truth until you hit it. Yeah, I, I, I think when you're encroaching on it, so for me, for example, when the shift, the mental shift started to move, I was about 37. So that was around the time I had Sebastian. And um, I was quite calculated with Sebastian in a sense of, <laughs> I, you know, there's a six years age gap between them. And I was on the fence about having another one. And I said, you know, if you're going to do it, you need to do it. And you need to do it by this age. Because after this age, forget about it. I'm not trying to be anybody's mother late 50s. Uh, I don't think so. So um, I had Sebastian, but I planned it in such a way that I thought, if I have him at 37, it's going to be one year to get my head around it again, 38. Then another year to get myself back on my feet, 39. So by 40, I'm hitting my stride. That's literally how I planned it. So there was a lot of movement going on mentally from 37, plotting and planning, plotting and planning, plotting and planning. And just uh, with me in general. And I think the initial, it literally, as soon as it was happy birthday, 40, it was like ding, 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 ding. The reason being for 40 is that you're looking at another side of a hill now. So I'm not saying, oh, life is downhill and you're dying. No, you know, nothing morbid like that. But I think what it is, is that, you know, you've got time on your side, luxury when you're 17, in your 20s and in your 30s, it being quite frank, you know, you can make mistakes, you mess around, you do this, you do (laughs) that. But I think when you hit 40, you know that, you can't be messing around in 40. You can't be messing around in 50. That's a joke. Like, seriously, if your ish is not together, if you're not, if you, if you don't know what you're doing, like, I feel sorry for you. I really feel sorry for you. You might be the lady still in the club, you know, lost, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I sound feisty. It's not like I'm not out, but, you know, or, you know, the same with the guy. I feel like if you... If you hit 40 and you have no idea and you're not sure, wow, because you, the time time is running. It's like quicksand. I, I'm, I'm literally like looking at the clock like, wow, another week's gone, another week's gone, another week's gone, you know. And the other day I got quite upset. It's so stupid, but I turned 41 and I, I started crying because I thought, wow, my next one with a, a number one on my birthday would be 51. And I'm like, ugh, I'm not... Fair enough, it's 10 years away, but in my head I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm getting old. So that's why I mean, like, I think the 40, when you hit that, it's, it's not that life begins, but you would have done enough things in life to know where you are at 40 and that actually your path is now very much clear and it's no longer cloudy. Simone, what does life look like now for you? So going through all of that that you've shared with us, like what does it look like now in your 40s? Like what, like tell us a bit about all of that that you've gone through, where are you now? It looks really good and I'm really excited for my future. I feel like I did a lot of grafting 
So the fruits of my labor in my 20s, for example, I, I did my, most of my, all my achievements pretty much were in my 20s, the big, big achievements. So um, they are paying off and have been in my 30s, they were, and they're paying off in my 40s. So definitely that's great for me, great for my, my children, my legacy. I'm very um, focused more. I know that what I want to achieve career-wise and also with um, you know my my other businesses that I have. Can you tell us about some of those achievements, the things that you've done? We know you're a solicitor, but give us like a few really just you know, I am the mouth for us. What are you doing? What ventures are you doing? What have you achieved? We want to know who Simone is now at 41. At 41, who am I? If I was to sum myself up, if I had to have a biography at this stage in my life, what would I say? I would say that I was fortunate enough to be called to the bar as a barrister by the age of 20. Oh my gosh, I have to think about this. By the age of 25, um, I uh, crossed over to become a solicitor, I think by the age of 20, I think I was 28 by that age. But in between all of that, I hold two master's degrees and um, nearly finishing my next master's actually at the moment. Uh, homeowner of, I don't want to get into how many, but anyway, um, yeah, a portfolio. So, so a property investor, am I, am I right? Uh, yeah, property investor. And um, I suppose I have two businesses. One is um, a business, both of them are centered around children, but they, um, one, I do camps, holiday camps for children during um, half term time, summer holidays. So I run that um, for children in South London, uh, specifically Southeast London. And also I have a tutorial business as well for children, primary age children as well, where we support them with maths, English and reading. And uh, right now my focus has been on those families that, you know, are I suppose lower down on the socio-economic pole and would like their children to go to private school or grammar school and think that they can't afford it and they don't know how to do it so right now I suppose my my that's my big driver at the moment is to give that knowledge and give back to my community in all honesty to empower other parents so that they too can change their children's lives and the direction so that me when when I sum it up those are my accomplishments my achievements and I'm extremely proud of everything that I do I mean I'm, I'm still lawyering um, that's your bread and butter but I think where's at one stage I, I didn't like it or I was I fell out of love with it I love it again because I'm now able to speak to two sides of me so I've got that corporate business side which is quite ruthless <laughs> and you know I like that and then I'm also able to speak towards my I suppose my social value side my giving back as I said I'm able to really focus on that and imparting knowledge I believe knowledge is power um, and it should be given should be given freely where you can so I'm, I'm so happy that I'm actually now finally in my purpose I think that's what it comes down to I'm, I'm in my purpose now and for that I'm shining Amen. And how are you managing all of that? Because it sounds like you're doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> it is a lot. It is a lot. Uh, well, I mean, property investment, that's fine. I, I outsource that. So I'm fortunate enough to outsource that to an excellent company uh, called Moving In. And they're based in London, South London, West Norwood. So they, they manage all my property portfolios and that's great. So I don't really have to deal with stress with that. So I know it's being dealt with and it's, it's fine. I just really want to know when the money's coming in. So that <laughs> I'm not really interested. I'm like, just, yeah, when do I get my money? That's it. So that, that, that's all I want to know. Um, so that's fine. But in terms of like my businesses and then my normal nine to five, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. It is very, very hard. You know, we've all got the same 24 hours in a day, but I'm a firm believer in, you know, it's about what you do with those 24 hours. I'm mother hard, trust me. When I say mother hard, <laughs> I, I'm not a surface mummy. Tiger mum, helicopter mum. Listen, you sum me up. I'm a tiger mum, a helicopter mum. I'm in my son's PTA. Actually, I rep for both my sons, both of their schools. So I'm the P I'm on the PTA for both of their schools. So that already is another job in itself. And I love that because I need to be involved in their lives and their education. So that that's quite a lot. And then, um, I mean, with the businesses, 
it's, 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 it's a lot. I'm tired. Sometimes I am really tired. I've got darts. Thank God you guys don't have a camera on in terms of showing people my face. <laughs> because it's, I'd have a cheek right now. I don't even slap on any makeup. So um, I look tired. So, um, yeah. I'm, you don't, I'm, you don't I'm, look tired, I must say. No, you don't look tired. Me, I'm so tired. There's times where I go to bed at midnight and I wake up at two, like, oh, my God. Did I do that? <laughs> you know, literally in a panic. Oh, did I send the email? Did I? Did I? And then I'll be like, go to bed. Go to bed. And then my eyes will pop again at four. Like, did I? Um, I might as well get up now. So I, 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 I'm not. I thought like, it was just me. I thought it was just me. I'm, 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 I'm like the poster child for lack of sleep. Like, <laughs> lack of sleep. So uh, I am tired. I'm so tired. But at the same time, what keeps me fueled, what keeps me motivated is that, you know what? I know I'm fortunate and I know I'm blessed. And um, I know that not many people get to say that they get to choose what they want to do in life. You know, rather than they choosing their direction, life just tends to drag them along, you know? And I am so lucky to say that, no, life is not dragging me along. I'm not under the horse's um, cart. I'm, I'm, I'm walking and I'm fine and I'm really driving my direction. So it's very, very tiring. I don't know how I do it. I get asked that all the time. <laughs> what would you tell your younger self? <laughs> Go on. What would you all right, say? All right. What I tell my younger self is, <laughs> firstly, I would have said, uh, about the, um, the way you, um, use your money the way you use your money. Don't squander money. Don't squander it. Um, save it as soon as you can. Don't, the amount of money I've had go through my fingertips is terrible. So I tell my younger self, one, the importance of understanding your credit file. Not that my credit is jacked. <laughs> it was jacked <laughs> in my younger days. <laughs> it was, you know, one, the importance of just, um, you know, good financial management, definitely, I'd say that. And also the importance of saying no and putting yourself first and foremost putting yourself first and not feeling like you're being selfish when you say no and when you put yourself first and that yes sometimes people will be upset with you in life but stand your ground and don't let go of um who you are as a person because i did lose myself for a while in my 30s but don't let go of who you are don't be ashamed of who you are and love yourself, just love yourself. That's what I'd say to my younger self. In, yeah. What would you say your opinion is on the way that failure is viewed in society and the way, I guess, the pressure is put on individuals to live up to things that actually might not even mean anything later on down the road? What it is, is it starts from young and it's a culture thing. It's partly society and it's partly culture. And our culture does have a lot to answer for in regards to what failure is and what success is. It's very, very prescribed and very narrow in culturally what they deem as success and failure. And I think for me, I said to myself that I define my idea of success. I am going to define what success means to me. And I am not going to be dictated to by my family or society. And now that's really bold to say that now at 41, but was I really saying that at 17? Not in so many words, but I will say I was ahead of my time being because I'm a reader by choice. I'm a lover of reading. I read every day. So I was always reading. So I always had knowledge, always, always sought knowledge. And I always said that, for example, I don't want to be the person on the hamster wheel. I don't want to wake up, get on the wheel, run around it aimlessly, and then basically drop down dead once my time is up on the hamster wheel. And I, I said that to myself from teens, definitely from teens. I didn't want to be that person. And I figured out quite young, I'd say in my 20s, that if I was going to be happy, I definitely had to define my idea of success and my idea of failure. If I lived by man's expectations, and when I mean man, I mean my family's expectations or friends' expectations or society norms, then in some aspects, certain parts of my life would be deemed as success. And there'll be other bits that would be deemed as failure. And I think if you live your life according to a doctrine of whether that's been mandated to you from government or family, I don't think you'll be happy. I feel like there is no one definition success at all. 
you'll be at your most happiest when you define what success looks like to you. Now that could be man in a van job. That could be best checkout woman in Tesco's. I, I don't know, whatever it is, but as soon as you define your parameters of success, you will find that happiness. As soon as you define your parameters of failure, again, you'll then know, you know when to stop doing what you're doing so that you don't go down that road. But I would say that society and culture has a lot to really answer to when it comes to how people view themselves. And I think you need to be a strong character to be able to break out of those norms. And I know that I work tirelessly with my children because I don't want them to feel like their idea of success is really going to be what is dictated to them as success because you're not going to be happy so sum that up beautifully definitely and I was just going to come in to say about the 70 leaving home at 17 because I also left home at 17 with my bag and when I got to my friend's <laughs> house I thought I was running away to my mum was on the phone already by the time I got there wow wow and, and her aunt said to me your mum said get your backside back home and I just turned <laughs> around and I went back home, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, in terms of looking at my resilience, I think I didn't get to some of the strength that I can see that you've already navigated from an early age to very later on in life. And I think because I allowed my goals to be shaped by what my friends, what my family thought, you need to go to uni. I went to uni, the uni degree didn't do nothing for me. You know, so, you know, I went to do this and then I realized actually some of this has got to be defined by my own wants, my own needs, my own perception, not what society tells me what my friends deem is good what my family deals with, what am I happy to deal with what's my purpose I think so I think you, you know literally what you're saying as well is that you know friends family again they'll be even now they'll they're in your ears they're in your ears constantly you know what they what they think is okay for you to do and not to do people are so prescriptive over other people's lives I don't know who you know what makes them feel like they are they they have that right to be in your ears like that and dictating and telling you or or, or, or limiting you let's call mm -hmm. it limiting yes, yes. I, I i i'm very like it, the minute i feel like someone's trying to limit me is the minute that i go on wicked and bad yeah. and like, <laughs> when it's like she hulk comes out like this uh, the minute <laughs> I, I feel like someone's trying to limit my my potential, my direction, my vision is when I become just just a completely different person. And that could be whether it be family, uh, a boyfriend, um, friends, even work. Anybody that tries to put a kind of cap over me, um, it, it it just it doesn't work for me at all. I am so assured in in my ideas of success. I am so confident in that, that um, I will not be swayed. And what you find is that when you are confident in who you are in terms of what you want, et cetera, et cetera, you find that it makes other people uncomfortable. It makes them uncomfortable because they can't believe that you could be so assured in what you're doing. Have yeah, the audacity. Listen, the amount of times you think you like, are. Yeah, who, do you, who do you think you are? What do you mean, who do I think I am? I'm Simone Clementine, Morgan Hyphen Barnes. There's a hyphen there. <laughs> so that's who I am. So, you know, the, the, the point is, is that people, the minute they, they are faced with that, and, and you see it in work all the time, you know, if you're, you're working for them, I call it the man, if you're working for the man, you know, if you're working for the man or in your personal relationships and so forth, you see them trying to just pigeonhole you, you see them trying to cap you, you see them trying to do all sorts. But as I said, I think what gives you that freedom, and this is nothing to do necessarily with being 40, I think it's again, just about how you define your life and it's all wrapped up in it, is just, what you deem as what you need out of life. And I think when you hit that, you're flying. But 40 is like the, the icing on the cake. You've got life experience. And if I could say one thing, in, a, in my birthday card that I got from my auntie, I'm going to paraphrase these words. She said to me, old enough to have gone through experiences, but young enough to still learn from them and still grow. And you know, that was the best birthday card that I got at 40 and it is a paraphrase. But I, what I took from that was, wow, I'm old enough to have made mistakes, to have learned from them, but I still have time on my side to be the best that I can be. That for me was, was the best message that I got at 40. And that's why now I'm ruthless. I'm ruthless with my time. I'm ruthless 
ruthless in my pursuits and I am very, very focused and I'm unapologetic. Whereas before I would apologize, I'm not apologizing now. I'm not wrong and strong, but I mean, I'm not apologizing for myself, yeah. Absolutely, wow. And what can we expect from you in the next 10 years? What will 50 look like for Simone Morgan hyphen Barnes? Oh, what would it look like? <laughs> I'd like to be married. I think I'd like, I'd like to, I think I should know by now, isn't it? Manifestation. <laughs> so no, um, I want to be married. I don't want any old sod, but I want to be married. <laughs> I want to, I'm going to put it out there. I want to be married. Uh, that would be great. It would be great. Um, I'd want to be married. I want to see that all my hard work is thriving and that I'm able to give my two sons a fantastic legacy so that they're not able, they're not having to start from the beginning. They don't have to anyway. They don't have to start from where I started. I already broke the cycle. Their father broke the cycle. So we're fortunate. We, we've done that job already. So now what I'd like to give them, you know, in the next 10 is even more to build upon and grow. And then for me, just to continue to flourish. And I don't even mean materially or, or monetary. That's, that's happening. That's a standard. I know that. But I'm talking about, I want enrichments in my relationships. I, I want to sow more into those that I love. And I'm talking about my family and my friends. I want to be more ruthless and cut those extra dead woods aside. Again, friends and family. Um, so when I get to the 50th birthday, I want to look back and say, do you know what? My 40th decade was the making of Simone. Yes. Yes. Wow. Thank you, Simone. That, that was amazing. Amazing. Simone, can you tell us where we can find you, what your social media handles are, if people want to talk to you or reach you? If you want to reach me, um, just to reach Simone um, as the lawyer, um, you can reach me at admin at simonemorganbarnes.com. And Simone, I'm uniquely different. And Simone is spelt S-I-M-O-I-N-E. So very, very different. But you can reach me at admin at simonemorganbarnes.com. Thank you so much, Simone. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Um, and we hope maybe you'll join us another time for some other conversations. It'd be a pleasure. Thank you, Simone. That Thank was amazing. You. Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Welcome to Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Failure at 40.